We are finally in the New Testament. After taking five weeks and going through the Old Testament and setting the stage for why we need Jesus, we arrive on the New Testament. Where we left off a couple weeks ago and last week was after the final word was written. So Pastor Aaron talked about how Second Chronicles would have been the last book written. And I talked about how Malachi would have been the last prophetic word given. There's 400 years of silence. God doesn't, there's no prophets, there's no words from the Lord, there's nothing. And so Israel is sitting here desperately waiting for the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Because the prophets, time and time again, yes, they called the nation to turn from their ways. But above that, they pointed that there was going to be someone coming, a chosen one, a son of God, a Messiah that was going to save the nation, was going to save the world and turn them all back to Jesus, or turn them all back to God. And so Israel is anxiously waiting and waiting. And 100 years goes by and 200 years goes by. And this is becoming a long time to wait. Where we pick up in the story, we're in Luke 1. And it is amazing. And as we come into Luke, so when we read the gospel writers, uh, all of them have an audience that they're writing to. And so because they have a specific audience, they write a certain way. When we read Matthew, Matthew's very intentional quoting the Old Testament because he's writing to Jews. And he wants to prove to the Jews that Jesus really is the Messiah, the promised one that the prophets said was going to come. But we get to Luke. Luke is a Greek He's a doctor, and he's writing to Greeks. And so he doesn't emphasize highlighting the Old Testament so much. He's more interested in just reporting the facts for Theophilus, who's uh, basically paying for him to write this story. And uh, so he, but it's interesting how Luke will inadvertently point us back to the Old Testament because when we tell Jesus' story, it's almost impossible not to draw allusion to the prophecy that said that he was going to come. So we're in Luke 1, starting at verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also of the priestly order. Oh, my thing is not working. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, on the outset, that doesn't seem like a lot of significance has happened here, but there's actually a lot going on in these five verses. First and foremost, we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what does Luke report of them? That they were righteous. They obeyed all of God's commands. And if you remember from two weeks ago, that sounds a lot like what Malachi told the people that they were to do. Malachi 4.4 says, remember the law of, remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for Israel. So Luke, basically without even realizing it, takes that chunk and he says, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were the embodiment of this. They were obeying. They were righteous in God's eyes. They did what was right. And what else do we know? We said that they're older and they haven't had any children. And that's significant. When 
if you know the story, you know exactly why. But so they're they're an older couple. They're been righteous. They've been faithful all their days. And Zechariah's it's Zechariah's turn to serve at the temple. Now this is significant because Zechariah was to go in. In the Old Testament, what would happen is the high priest would take the incense. He would go into what was called the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Holy of Holies was this, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was placed, and only one person could ever go in. And if they went in, they had to be prepared. Because if you went in with any uncleanliness or any sin or any, anything that disqualified you from entering God's presence, you would die. That was God's law, that you had to be in the right standing with God to enter this place. Because what, what, what was happening was the Ark of the Covenant was this box that had God's laws written in it. It was covered in gold. You couldn't touch it or you would die. Only the priest could carry it on poles. But the way it was designed was there's these great big angels sitting on top of it. And between the angels what was called the judgment seat. And it was said that in the judgment seat is where God's presence was. It wasn't that God wasn't everywhere, but here was a special spot that God sat. And when the high priest would enter with the incense, he was bringing the prayers of the people before God. And what had happened over the years is the Ark of the Covenant had been lost. It had been hidden. There was a queen that rose up. She was, she was something else. She was, they said that she was more wicked than all the kings before her and all the kings after her. And so what the priest did is they hid the Ark of the Covenant so that she couldn't destroy it like she wanted to. And so the Ark has been lost, but the, they still maintained this practice of having this holy place. They didn't call it the Holy of Holies anymore because the Ark is gone, but it's still considered the holy place. And Jeremiah and <coughs> Zechariah would come in, and he's bringing the incense, and he was the incense represented the prayers of the people. That's why there's this great crowd sitting outside. Twice a day, the priest would take the incense into the holy place. And, as a, and they were anxiously waiting to hear if God was going to respond. It wasn't just burning incense. If you ever smell incense, it's awful stuff. I, I grew up in a church that burned it all the time. My allergies would go crazy. I'm like, why do we do this? Um, but the incense was a representation. Every time you read about incense in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was representative of the people's prayers. And this crowd is eagerly waiting for this person to enter the holy place. Only they could enter and to come back and say, did you hear from God? Are we getting an answer yet? Even more significant because there's so many priests and it's not just the high priest entering. They didn't get to do this regularly. They got to do this once in their life. Zechariah would show up for his time of duty and wait anxiously. He's an old man, and it hasn't been his turn yet. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And finally, by lot, it's Zechariah's turn to enter this holy place, to enter the presence of God, carrying the prayers of his people. So this is a very significant moment for Zechariah. This is a very insignificant practice for the Israelites at this time. And they're anxiously waiting for something. So in verse 11 we read this. Oops. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, gladness, 
and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And I'm going to leave that up because the angel, again, is being very intentional with his words. Because this is exactly what Malachi said. The last verse of Malachi 4, he says that that Elijah will come. He will prepare the way of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. The angel is declaring the fulfillment of this prophecy that the one who is promised is coming. And not only is he coming, but the one who's supposed to prepare the way is coming in the form of Zechariah's son. And the important thing to draw from this is that this is the answer of two prayers. The first one is Zechariah and Elizabeth. Because there was a shame. There was a shame that came on Every Israelite woman who didn't have a son, who didn't even have a child. And so even though they were old and past the time of childbirth, there was still this shame that Elizabeth was carrying. And what we gather is that Elizabeth never stopped praying for this child to come. She just kept believing because she served the God who gave Abraham and Sarah a son. So if if God could do it for them, why couldn't God do it for her? And so she's still praying. She's still believing. And, God, and this angel says, guess what? Surprise! You're old, but you're still going to get the child that you've been waiting for. But not only are this older couple getting the answer to their prayer, but Israel is receiving the answer of their prayer. 400 years. They've been waiting for Elijah to return to prepare the way. And the angel has just shown up and said, Elijah is coming. He's coming in the form of this young boy named John. And he's going to turn the hearts of people back to God. And what we need to stop and hear in this is what is something that you've been praying for? Because this applies to us just as much. What is something you've been praying for and you feel like you've been praying for it for a long time? In fact, you've been praying for it for so long you're tempted to just stop because it just feels like God's not going to do it. And have you been, what have you been praying for and have you been tempted to give up? Now what we're going to see is John had stopped praying. John had given up on the idea of a kid because they're old and they're way past. And the good news of this story is that you don't need to give up. It may have been a long time. It may seem like it's been forever. It may even seem like it's impossible. This old couple having this baby would have seemed impossible at the time. But nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is impossible. No no sickness is unhealable. No relationship is unrepairable. No situation is irredeemable for our God because our God is bigger and greater and more powerful than we could ever comprehend. So what have you been praying for? What have you been believing for and holding on and just crying out day after day, God, I need you to move in this. I need you to change this. I need you to do something. And the story reminds us, don't give up. Because your prayers are not going to waste. God is not like 
oh, that's right, I was supposed to address that. Like, he didn't forget. But he wants you to persevere. He wants you to push through. He wants you to hold on, keep believing, keep declaring the truth that God can do what only God can do. So what are you asking for? And have you, have you been tempted? Or maybe you have given up. And this is a reminder for you. Don't stop believing. Don't stop asking because your God loves you. Your God sees the situation. He loves the person who's involved. And he wants to do great and miraculous things. So keep on praying. Because I guarantee you, you don't have 400 years to wait. And it may seem like it's been 400 years since you started praying for this thing, but it hasn't been. And God hears you, God sees the situation, and he is going to move. You just have to be patient, and you have to just keep on believing, just as John, or Zechariah and Elizabeth did. As we continue on, verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Okay. So Zechariah has given up. He's like, really? How can I know you're pulling my leg? Like, (laughs) this ain't going to happen. I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Do you notice? Good choice of words. Didn't say she's old. She's she's advanced in years. She's like fine wine, Angel. Like, she's just, mm, she's not old. (laughs) She's just, anyways. I keep moving. Um, and the angel said, I am Gabriel. There's only two angels named in all of Scripture. Three angels, but we don't count the one that turned. Um, Michael and Gabriel. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this news. Oh, no. We made the angel mad. Not a good start. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Important thing to note. Does Zechariah's doubt, does Zechariah's unbelief cancel the promise? Does the angel say, because you didn't believe, you don't get a son? That's it, I'll find some other old person to have a son. Like, does he say that? No. What does he say? He says, you're still getting the son, but there's a consequence for you not believing. There's a consequence for you not, for, for your doubt. And the question I, the second question I have for you is, have you allowed doubt to get in the way of God's promises in your life? Have you allowed doubt to derail something that you know God has called you to? God has promised this to you, either in his word or in a moment of prayer. God has spoken to you, and you have allowed doubt to build this wall that has gotten in the way of those promises. Because just like Zechariah, it doesn't mean the promise isn't coming. It doesn't mean that the promise isn't still yours to have. But sometimes you're going to take the scenic route. There's a consequence for doubting God. There's a consequence for questioning whether or not God can do what he's going to do. And for Zechariah, it's <laughs> it doesn't mean that, you know, the pregnancy is going to be longer. He doesn't have to wait longer for the son to arrive. But as a priest who can't talk, this is going to be a long 10 months of waiting. There's a lot of hand gestures and writing and not being able to say anything. 
And the true saying for us, we, the doubt does not disqualify you. Doubt has always been this thing in, in Christianity that we've always questioned so much. Does doubt disqualify us? Does me doubting mean that I'm not a Christian anymore? No! But doubt is a crossroads. And doubt is either going to cause you to ask all the right questions, find all the right answers, and you're going to grow in your faith and become more mature and more sure of it. Or doubt, if you allow it to fester and don't actually look for the answers, can completely derail your faith. Let me ask you, do you think Zechariah, after all those months of not being able to speak, do you think he was further away from God or closer to God? Probably a little bit of both. There's probably times where he's probably, "Mm, why did you take my voice away? There's probably times where he's like, thank you, God, I still get a son in the end of this. The question comes to us as well, is there's been times, and it comes back to the what have you been believing for, has there been times where you've allowed doubt to tell you that it's not going to happen because that's simply not true? It's not true. So we need, to have a, we need to have the strength, we need to have the perseverance, and we need to have the ability to press through the doubt, to look for the answers. And the beautiful thing, one of the things that often happens is we're hearing people testify about the great and amazing things God is doing in their life. And instead of being encouraged, we sit there and listen, and we're like, why is God doing it for them and not doing it for me? Right? We get discouraged. And instead, what those testimonies are supposed to tell us, to do is encourage us because if God did it once, he's going to do it again. This is Elizabeth. Elizabeth knows that she's way past childbearing time, but God did it for Abraham. God did it for Sarah. If he did it once, he can do it again. And there's situ- whatever your situation is, how many times have you heard that God brought someone who was far from him back to faith? How many times have you heard someone who has struggled with sickness for a long time and God steps in and heals and you're like, oh, why isn't God doing it? Instead, it should be, mm. thank you for that reminder that God still does the impossible. Thank you for that reminder because if he did it once, he's going to do it again. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Almost, I was going to pretend to sing that song, but you, you pay me to talk, not sing. And there's a reason for that. So I'm just going to stick to my lane. <coughs> Don't let doubt get in the way of what you've been waiting for. You do not let doubt get in the way of the things that God has promised you. Because God has, God has written a whole book of promises for you. The question is, are you willing to just hold on? If God said he's going to do it, if God did it once, he's going to do it again, and that's all I need. And I'm going to hold on, I'm going to press through, and I know and believe that good things are coming. We wrap up chapter 1. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary. Apparently, this is a long conversation. I don't know what the process was. The priest obviously just went in, did the incense thing, and came out because Zechariah's having this conversation. People are like, what's going, did he die? I mean, he is old. Like, there was a time where they would tie a rope to the high priest when he went into the Holy of Holies because if they missed something and he didn't repent of something and he died, that was the only way to get him out. Problem was probably sitting there like, we should have tied a rope. We knew it because he's not coming. They're wondering, what's taking him so long? 
when he finally did come out, oh, finally, forgot your walker? Like, it's this guy, why? <laughs> what took so long? He couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. But he can't tell them what it is because he's lost his voice. But this would have been just exciting for the people because he saw something. God was on the move again. God was speaking again. Not that God stopped moving, but God, God revealed himself. God, God something happened. Because Zechariah is not himself anymore. Maybe he was a talkative guy and now he can't talk. It's a big change. When Zechariah's week of service at the temple was over, he returned home. And soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Elizabeth is thrilled. This is the evidence, that, like I said earlier, she never stopped believing. She never stopped praying. She never stopped knowing that God could do the impossible. And this exclamation is, oh, God, you're so good because you have taken away my shame. You've done the impossible, and now I get to have a child. So three big takeaways. Don't stop praying. Don't stop holding on that God can do the impossible. No matter how long you've been waiting, no matter how big the thing may seem, God still hears your prayers. God still wants you to persevere. And God is still going to do something. Do not let doubt rob you of God's promises. Do not. It's okay to doubt, but do not let doubt derail you. Do not allow doubt to stop what God is trying to do. Because God is going to do something you just need to keep on pressing on, believing that God is everything he says he is. And the third one, just as it was prophesied over John, prepare the way. This is the second Sunday of Advent. Christmas is coming. And how are you preparing the way for your kids, for your family, for yourself? How are you preparing yourself for this great celebration where we take time and we pause Christmas Eve and we remember that God in His infinite, in His glory, in His power, in His might and wisdom, everything that God is, and He stripped it off and became a baby in a manger, born to a virgin, but this this baby was going to um, accomplish great and amazing things. And that alone is a reason to be excited, to prepare ourselves so that we don't get to Christmas and it's all about the presents, it's all about the glitz and the glamour, but we get to Christmas and it's all about Christ. How are you preparing the way? How are you stirring up the Christmas season in your coworkers, in your family, at the church? Prepare the way. Because Jesus is coming. Not only has he come once, he is coming again. And we need to prepare our town, we need to prepare our co-workers, we need to prepare our family, because Jesus is coming any day now. And the question is, are you ready? Let's pray. <coughs> if the worship can come on up. Father God, I thank you. Thank you, God, that you never forget. God, all the prayers that have been offered for so many different things, you hear them all. But not only do you hear them all, you store them up. 
And God, we don't know the reason for the delay. We don't know the reason that we have been praying for so long, but we do know that you have perfect timing. And we do know that you speak. And God, I pray for ears that are open, that if we are praying the wrong way, or if we need to pray differently for the situation, God, that we would be open to that conversation with you for you to lead us to pray better. God, I pray for those moments of doubt, that our hearts would remain secure, that we would just draw nearer to you, that we would, we would remove the doubt, and we would dive more closely with you, dive more intimately with you. God, that you would help us overcome those moments of doubt. And above all, God, as we enter this Christmas season, as it's the first Sunday of December and the second Sunday of Advent, God, help us prepare the way. As you called John to do, may we do it as well. May we prepare the way for you, Lord Jesus, because you are coming any day, and we want to be ready, and we want our families to be ready. We want everyone to be ready. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. Move us, encourage us, lead and guide us this week. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.